Well, welcome once again. We're currently in a sermon series titled Questions Jesus Asks. When you read the, through the Gospels, there's a lot of people asking Jesus questions, but um, it's more interesting, I think, to look at the questions that Jesus asks the people in the stories that we read. The questions that Jesus asks tend to penetrate deep into one's soul. The question for this week is, do you believe because you see me? It comes from our passage here in John chapter 20, where we look at verses 19 through 31. You can uh, read it in your bulletin, or it's in your pew Bible on page 907. What we're about to read is an account from one of Jesus' disciples, the Apostle John. And here the Apostle John gives us an account of that first Easter Sunday uh, after Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And what he shows us is a fearful band of disciples cowering in a locked room. And then he focuses particularly on one disciple, the disciple named Thomas. Thomas will not believe in the resurrection of Jesus until he sees it himself and touches Jesus himself. Now, why does John give us an account of a story of which one of his disciples is slow to believe in the resurrection, one who doubts the resurrection. Well, it's because John wrote his gospel for people like you and me, people who are prone to doubt, prone to disbelief. And what we're going to see this morning is it's okay to come to Jesus like Thomas. Jesus welcomes you with your spiritual doubts. But more importantly, he welcomes you. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, Even so, I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were again inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hand and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, 
which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this account of the story, a story of a doubter who's um, come to see the truth of uh, you, Jesus, that you are alive, risen, and that in you there is life. We pray for your spirit's presence with us, that we may ponder and contemplate these words anew, that you may speak to us even now uh, as we come to you with questions, perhaps doubts, um, and enliven our faith, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the word resurrection is quite common in our vernacular, um, so common that this past week I heard it over and over again as people were talking about all kinds of different resurrections, things that have been resurrected, like golf careers in Augusta and fireworks legislation in Atlanta. We even heard that Radio Shack is being resurrected. I don't know if you knew this, but that chain of overly priced electrical gadgets uh, had died. Uh, But now a hedge fund uh, has uh, risen it from the dead, so to speak. Um, Radio Shack is being resurrected, so the story says. There's another big announcement, though, that caught my eye in Time magazine. They, They say that the Ford Motor Company has resurrected the Lincoln Continental. Now, when I heard that story, I'm like, I hope they didn't, like, literally resurrect the one I remember from the 70s. You guys remember that? The, the Lincoln Continental, the Mark IV. It had, on its hood, it had that, uh, that hump, like, I guess, where the spare tire was supposed to go. <laughs> like, please, not that, right? Um, you know, thankfully, uh, you should see the new Lincoln Continental. Boy, it looks really nice, okay? Um, for those of you who are in the market for a new vehicle, but... We all know what the journalists mean when they, in their headlines, they say something has been resurrected. It means that something that has once been left for dead is now alive. Now this Easter Sunday, we are gathered here to celebrate the resurrection that gives meaning to all other resurrections. The resurrection of Jesus is the seminal act in history that defines all other resurrections so-called resurrections. And so Jesus' resurrection should challenge us this morning as to what are the resurrections we long for in our lives. Consider that question. What, what, what's the resurrection that you long for in your life? Uh, I'm not talking about the New York Knicks or the Yankees. <laughs> I'm talking about things that go deeper into your soul, deep longings. Perhaps resurrected relationships, resurrected health, resurrected mind, resurrected contentment. Whatever resurrection you long for in life ultimately points you to a need for the resurrection that Christ offers us for those who believe. Isn't it true? All other resurrections will will let us down. That Lincoln Town Car in a couple years... You're not going to want it, right? Even if you are blessed with a wonderful, lifelong relationship with your spouse, even if you are blessed with just great health, is it not true that in the end that will end? 
But Jesus' resurrection brings an eternal goodness for all who believe. The last words in our passage are these, that by believing, you may have life in his name. John is telling us that by believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that brings his resurrected life into our lives. Here and now, and in the age to come. That's the message that we see this morning. And so the hope for us this morning won't be found in scouring the headlines for rescue. Hope for us this morning must be found in the one who enters in to the locked doors of your lives and says, peace be with you. Now for many, the resurrection is a deal breaker We'll believe in all kinds of resurrections. We'll believe in the resurrection of the New York Mets. We'll believe in the, maybe not the Mets, but uh, they actually are having a good seat. They're off to a good start, preseason number one, right, in the, in the Grapefruit League. We'll, we'll be quick to believe in the resurrection of Tiger Woods. We're quick to receive uh, the resurrection of a Lincoln Continental. But we can be oh so slow to believe in the resurrection that gives meaning to all other resurrections, the resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God. It's true, isn't it? John wants us to see something this morning. He wants us to see that since the resurrection of Jesus gives life, we must believe in Christ. John does this through telling a story of a reluctant man, a skeptical man named Thomas. And what we see in his life is what we can see in our life, is that Jesus meets us where we are. And he takes us from from confusion to confession. We're going to look at three points this morning as we investigate that. First, we're going to look at the confusion of Thomas, then the grace of Christ, and then the faith of the church. First, the confusion of Thomas. Have you ever showed up late to something and realized you missed out big time? You know, like you show up at a party, it's a really fancy affair, and, and they're all out of shrimp cocktail, you know, and someone offers you bean dip, you know, something along those lines. All right? Um, if you like bean dip, sorry. You know, I didn't mean it to offend you. Um, something more unsettling has taken place in our story. Thomas misses the resurrection of Jesus, the one he's been following, the one who died. He misses it, or so he thinks. Earlier in the day, we don't see it in our passage, but right before our passage, Mary Magdalene goes, uh, and, and we know the other Mary's there and a few other ladies, but she goes and she finds that the tomb is empty. She comes back and tells Peter and John. Peter and John get in a foot race to the tomb, and they confirm the tomb is empty. Now it's a few hours later. We're in our passage, and all the disciples are gathered except for Judas Iscariot, of course, and Thomas. He's not there. They are in the uh, room. And we read in verse 19 that the doors were locked um, because the disciples were afraid of the Jews. Now, what does he mean by that? So, I mean, the disciples themselves were Jewish. So, but when John uses the term Jews, he's referring to the highly religious um, Jewish authorities that rejected Jesus, sought to have him arrested, and killed and crucified. That's what he's referring to when he says that. So the disciples feared that these same religious leaders who killed Jesus were going to come and round them up and arrest them. So John tells us that they're, they're hiding behind locked doors, they're gripped by fear, and Jesus comes and stands among them and then says for the first of three times, he says, peace be with you. 
And then what does Jesus do? In verse 20, we read that Jesus showed them, he showed them all his hands and his side. He's like saying, guys, it's me. Look, you can see for yourself. I know you saw me crucified. I know you know I was laid in a tomb, but it's me. I'm risen just like I had promised you. And we read what? That the disciples were glad. And then Jesus once again speaks peace to them. Then he gives them a command. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. This work of bringing the good news into this world, it's yours now. Just as I told you it would be one day. And then he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he was now pouring upon his disciples. The resurrected life of Christ was being poured out on the church. And then he says, go and preach the gospel. Verse 23 is kind of confusing, but what he's saying is, if people receive this gospel message, their sins will be forgiven. If they do not receive it, forgiveness will be withheld. Now, this is quite an encounter, right? Quite outstanding encounter. Jesus in the flesh, back from the dead. Jesus granting peace. Jesus pouring out the Holy Spirit and charging his disciples with a task that's going to change the world. Could you, could you imagine being there? But Thomas missed it. He wasn't there. Where was he? I don't know. Maybe he was out buying bread. I don't know. He missed it. Or so he thinks. Could it be repeated? In verse 24, we read that Thomas, uh, we read he had a twin brother. That's interesting. Uh, don't know much about him. But one more reason why you can believe these gospel accounts. You know, who would add that, right, if they're like making up a story, right? And then we read, uh, he was not there when Jesus came. And, and then other disciples came up and they told him we'd seen the Lord. He showed us everything. Uh, we saw his, his scars. Their lives had now taken on a new reality. Their lives were now uh, transformed by the resurrection. No longer would they be the same. And they wanted Thomas to believe and to be transformed too. And how does Thomas reply? With great skepticism, right? Unless I see his, in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Some of you are Thomases, aren't you? God, you got to show me. you got to prove to me that you exist. you got to come right now. Otherwise, yeah, I'm not going to believe. Let's be clear about something. We can't be too hard on Thomas. Thomas isn't asking for anything more than what the other disciples got. The other disciples got to see Jesus. They got to see the scars, to see the wounds, to hear from him. Thomas wanted the same. But then again... We can be a little hard on Thomas and should be. See, he could have and should have believed based upon the reliable testimony of eyewitnesses. We depend upon eyewitness testimony all the time, don't we? You know, my kids come home from school. They tell me about their day. Is this how I respond? Yeah, I don't know, Ella. Yeah, you say you had a birthday party in fourth period. A girl named Georgiana brought cupcakes. Um, You had the chocolate frosted one. Yeah, I'm not going to believe that. You know, I've got, I wasn't there. I didn't see it. Wipe your lip off. Uh, you know, no, we don't act that way. 
We entrust eyewitness testimony every day of our lives. Now, I get it. There's a world of difference between a third grader's birthday party and some guy named Jesus 2,000 years ago rising from the dead. But the same rules apply. We are to believe credible eyewitness testimony. John writes in verse 31, he says that he has written all of these eyewitness accounts so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John believes that he has given us enough evidence to believe. And guess what? So does Jesus too. Did you see what Jesus says? After, after Thomas believes in Jesus, um, Jesus says to him in verse 29, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus expects people like you and me who have never seen the resurrection uh, to actually believe the story, to believe in him. There is enough evidence. Perhaps you're here this morning and uh, your eyes roll when you hear about things like miracles. You like Jesus, you like the stories, but uh, you, you tend to, to say, you know what, I just can't believe in these miracles. Let me make a couple quick points. Um, first, Contrary to our modern uh, sensibilities, people back in Jesus' day weren't gullible. Uh, They didn't believe easily in things like resurrections, like people dead coming back to life. In fact, just the opposite. What they believed back then was when you were dead, that was it. You were dead. I mean, even his disciples, Jesus told his disciples three times he was going to rise from the dead. Three times, and yet they didn't believe him, right? So let's not buy into this thing that, you know, the people back then are gullible. It was just they made up a story. And the second thing is this, yes, if Jesus rode from the dead, that would be a miracle, right? It is a miracle, I, I grant you that, and miracles are hard to believe in. But consider this argument, if there is a God, and he created everything, including the laws that govern the natural universe, is it not also possible that he, being God, could, for a moment, suspend his laws in order to resurrect his son from the dead? I think the answer is, of course. Thomas, like many today, was confused. He had doubts. He had heard that Jesus had rose from the dead, but he wasn't convinced. That's the confusion of Thomas. Now for the grace of Christ. How does Jesus respond? Well, he meets Thomas where Thomas is. He meets Thomas in his confusion and his doubts. And this shows us the grace of Jesus. The resurrection tour makes an encore appearance Jesus didn't need to return a week later, but he does for Thomas' sake. Once again, the disciples are in a locked room, and Jesus miraculously enters and stands before them. And once again, for the third time, he says to everyone, Peace be with you. But then his eyes turn to his beloved Thomas. He says, Thomas, go ahead. Take a peek. Look. Stick your fingers in there. You see it, right? Yeah, I know. Uh, my father could have, could have removed the scars. He could have made me completely whole. But the scars remind, remind me and they remind you of, of my love for you. These scars remind me of, of the great costly sacrifice that I went through to have your sins forgiven. So take a close look. And oh, by the way, you see that big gaping hole in my side? It's pretty big, huh? Stick your whole fist in there if you like. And then Jesus says, don't disbelieve, but believe. 
Here is the grace of Christ that caused Thomas to move from confusion to confession. Jesus gave Thomas what he asked for. Jesus wasn't obligated to do so. You know, I think if this was you or I, we would have done something quite differently. I'm sorry, you missed it, Thomas. That was your opportunity. You had your chance. I get you're buying bread, right? Right? Okay. You know, I heard the story, but, you know, sorry. You missed it, right? Isn't that kind of how we respond when people doubt us, when they don't believe us? Well, not so Jesus. Jesus is full of grace towards Thomas. And this helps us to see that he's also, well, he's full of grace towards us. He's patient with us. He's willing to show us what we need in order to believe. Jesus meets us in our confusion, though not exactly in the same way. You know, I think we missed the opportunity uh, to be there in that room way back then, right? That's not going to be an event that is repeated. But we can still meet with the same risen Christ. Jesus fully expected that you would be able to hear his story, that it would be written down for you, that his words would be faithfully recorded for you, um, and and that that we too can experience Jesus enter into the locked doors of our lives and, and dialogue with us. He expected that. He, ex- he expected that we would be able to investigate his scars, so to speak. He, he expected that we too can hear his words, do not disbelieve, but believe. God in his goodness and his love towards us has given us his written word and his Holy Spirit so that we can investigate for ourselves. Many today, though, will say... Uh, don't be a doubting Thomas. You know, many look negatively upon Thomas, but not Jesus. Jesus' words aren't so much a rebuke of Thomas, but rather a welcome, welcoming him into belief. Jesus welcomes our doubts. I think the problem, though, today is that, that many people who say they have doubts really just have excuses. Consider my own life. Personally, I, uh, I became a Christian when I was 29 years old. Prior to that, I was a fairly vocal opponent of Christianity. There was a whole list of, of, of beliefs that Christians held that, that I had rejected. One of the truths of Christianity that I rejected was um, this notion that there is a good God and yet there is evil in the world. We, the world around us is full of evil, but Christians say that God is good. How can this good God allow this all to happen at the same time. Now, for many years, I would say, you know, that's my doubt, or one of them. But really, it was just an excuse. How do we know it's an excuse? Well, if you were to come to me and say, hey, Mark, all right, so you say you have this doubts, but why don't we go and study together how Christians over time have, have addressed that question? Would, would you like to see if there's some good answers? No, no thanks. What does that show you? It shows you it's not really doubt. I didn't truly doubt these things. I was using, uh, you know, my doubts uh, were, were really, it was an excuse masquerading as doubts. Do you see that in your own life? You know, my, in my mind, I was settled. I'd rejected this message, and I was convinced I wasn't going to investigate any further. Many, many people have doubts, but really their minds are settled. They're really not open-minded to believe. How about you? When it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, do you have definite doubts that long for answers? Or is your mind so subtle that you're really just using your doubts 
as excuses. You should know this. If you have genuine questions, Jesus is full of grace towards you. He will lovingly and patiently meet you where you are. Take time to pray to him. He's alive. Take time to read his words in scripture. The scriptures are alive. God did this with me. He set me on a journey where I said, you know what? I need to investigate. Um, I really do have doubts, and I want to hear if there's answers. God opened my heart. He spoke to me um, through his scriptures. I spent time reading the Bible, but also uh, with regards to that one question, how can a loving God allow evil? I read C.S. Lewis's book, The Problem of Pain. It's an excellent book that addresses that question in a real scholarly way. We've got a copy on our book table back there. We also have his book, Mere Christianity. Uh, we have Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God. If you've got questions or doubts, grab, grab one or both of those books. As you entered the building today, you were giving a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Easter. Now, Lee Strobel, um, before he believed in Christ, was a staunch atheist, but his wife became a follower of Christ, and so he started to investigate. And he was the right man for the job. See, he had a, he had a law degree from Yale, and he had a journalism degree from a prestigious school, and he was a journalist at the Chicago Tribune. He brings all his investigative inquiry um, to bear on the veracity of the resurrection of Jesus. I hope you read that book. All this to say, if you have genuine doubts, there are good answers. Uh, Come speak with me. Find someone here at Grace Church. Uh, Investigate on your own. Um, Now let's look to our final point, the faith of the church. John tells us and shows us that there is content. There is substance for us to believe. He summarizes this in verse 31. He says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John highlights three things. First, Jesus is the Christ. Now, that's, that's not his last name. Right? It's a title, right? Uh, Christ is the English word from the Greek word Christos, which the Greek word is a translation of the Hebrew, um, which is Messiah, and which means Messiah. Um, and it means anointed one, someone who's consecrated from, for some special duty uh, for God and for God's purposes. In the Old Testament, the Bible speaks of God one day sending Christ, a Messiah, to do his special work. And when he comes, he will restore peace to this planet, and there will be flourishing throughout the world. Now, when you read the gospel accounts, though, you see a lot of people who were looking or waiting for the Messiah, but they didn't receive Jesus. John is telling us that Jesus is that Messiah. He is the one sent from God to do God's work on earth. Next, John says, uh, not only is is he the Christ, but he's the Son of God. We need to understand this clearly. Jesus wasn't just some uh, ordinary man who all of a sudden woke up one day and decided to self-identify with the Messiah, right? I mean, Jesus uh, is the Son of God. He came for this purpose. He is God in the flesh. If you look at the beginning of John's Gospel, John calls Jesus the Word. He says, in the beginning was the Word, 
and the word was God. And a few verses later in chapter 3, that famous passage where we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God has not abandoned this world. He's sent his own Son. Jesus is divine. He's no ordinary man. Jesus came to do what we as human beings can't do. God sent him to rescue us from sin and from death. And Jesus has done that on the cross and now he's risen from the dead. God sent his own son so that through him we would be transformed from sinners into saints. The third content of the faith is that faith in Jesus gives us eternal life. Once again, John writes in 31 that by believing you may have life in his name. Earlier in 316, whoever believes in the son shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, no matter how many times you resurrect your marriage or your career or your golf game or whatever it may be, uh, your body, we will all eventually die. But John says there is hope. Death is like a door that awaits all of us, a door that we all must go through, we all must enter. Consider in your life, when, when that door is opened, what awaits you? Jesus, in the Bible, says that there's two possibilities. What awaits is either an eternity separated from God, with what the Bible calls the second death, where Jesus says there's great sorrow and gnashing of teeth, a place that C.S. Lewis says it's a place reserved for those who all of their life have said no to God, get their wish for all eternity. Also, an option that awaits is what John says here is life. Life that comes to us through faith in Christ. Remember the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11? I encourage you to read it. It's a great story. But Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that their brother Lazarus was dying. And then Jesus shows up late. Or so they thought. Here's how the story goes. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, thinking of that day to come, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Check out what she said. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Jesus' resurrection from the dead means that all who trust in him will one day, too, rise with him. 
And not into a broken world full of sin and sorrow and broken relationships and sinful patterns and lying and cheating. And um, it'll be a world that is recreated, a, a resurrected world in which perfect peace extends for all time. A place where you may truly experience resurrected life, resurrected relationships, resurrected health, resurrected minds, resurrected contentment. This is the content of the Christian faith. As Christians, we believe this. We we believe in this hope. Paul once said, if, if Jesus didn't, wasn't raised physically from the dead, then Christians are to be pitied above all people. Why? Because, because there's no proof that our hope even exists. But if Jesus did rise from the dead physically, and he conquered sin and death, and he promises that he will come again to restore the universe and all those who trust in him with real physical lives, our bodies are going to be different. I don't know about you, but did you notice Jesus' body? There's something different about it, right? He's able to get in locked doors. It's as if he's, he's simultaneously part of two different realms, a physical earthly realm and an eternal spiritual realm. And somehow he's able to come and go as he pleases. I don't know what our bodies will be like. I don't even know what it will be like to not even have a, a, a sad thought or even the possibility of one. I don't know. But Jesus says that's, that's what's coming. And new sound systems, too. <laughs> Let me tell you, my friends, what Jesus promises us isn't a new Lincoln Continental. He promises what your heart longs for. Isn't it true? Do you not long for eternal life? Don't tell me, oh, I don't want that. Bull. You want it. On your deathbed, you'd be crying out for it if you don't have it. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. This is the content of the Christian faith. But it's not enough to, to know this content or to think that it's favorable. You have to make it yours. You must receive it into your life. This content is to be acted upon. How do we know this? Well, what did Jesus say to Thomas? Act upon it, Thomas. Do not disbelieve, but believe, says Jesus. And how did Thomas respond? Did you notice? Far better than all the other disciples eight days earlier. Finally, finally on the pages of scriptures, you know, 20 chapters into John's gospel, Finally, someone makes a full and true confession concerning Jesus. Thomas says, My Lord, my God. May that be your confession this Easter Sunday. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have not left us alone. We thank you that Belief in you really is um, logical, that there is great evidence in that it's not just logical in our minds, it's logical in our hearts. We long for what you promise, but we're oh so easily fooled by, by false resurrections of wealth and status, 
Remind us today of where our hope is to be placed. I pray for those who don't yet trust in you that they would turn with eyes of faith and believe and experience this transforming power of your Holy Spirit in their lives. For us who have trusted and believed, remind us afresh of your care towards us, that you are patient with um, your brothers and your sisters that you died for and risen for. And may we set our hope anew on that day to come when we too will experience the resurrection. Amen.